You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so glad that you're here, as always. And if this is the first time that you're tuning in, welcome. I'm so glad that you found the show in this particular episode because we are talking about how to talk to your kids about sex. Yes, the dreaded sex talk. And how soon is too soon? Uh, I think a lot of us think, well, you know, when they're teenagers or, you know, middle school, that's when you can have the conversation. But actually, experts in the field of sex education say that we should be talking to our kids about their bodies as soon as they can talk. Um, But if you're like many parents, you're probably not having these conversations. In fact, a 2019 study stated that 63% of teen boys reported that their parents had never talked to them about contraception, and 44% of teen girls said the same. So it's clear that these conversations are not happening at the rate they probably should be to prepare and protect our kids. Um, But that's okay, because that's why we're having this conversation, to bring it to the forefront, to, to raise more awareness about it so that we can facilitate these types of conversations. And it's actually... It shouldn't be a scary thing. It's a great way to begin an ongoing conversation about relationships and body parts and boundaries, respect, privacy, and consent. So in this episode, I'm speaking with author and book editor Rachel Greener about her new book, Making a Baby. It's an unabashed and unapologetic portrayal of who we are, how we came to be, and how families are made. It answers the age-old question, where did I come from? And it answers all young readers' questions about their life in full detail, from contraception to birth and how they were able to join their family. Um, What I really enjoyed about the book is that it shows that there's more than one way to make a baby. There's more than one way to make a family. So it talks about um, in vitro fertilization, adoption, surrogacy, same-sex parents. It runs the gamut, but it does it in a way that's approachable And even though there's a lot of detail in those pages, probably a lot more than you would expect, um, it does it in a way that that meets your child where they are. So you can have it on the shelf next to all your other books. And then as they get older, they can go back to it and and read the little bubbles as we talk about, which have more uh, explicit detail about what's going on. Uh, physically. So I think this is a great book. I think this is a great change in our culture about being more open about talking about sex. And it's not to be explicit or flamboyant or in your face about it. It's really to prepare our kids so that when they do go out into the world, they're not going to be sidelined by something. They're not going to be put in a situation where they feel like they can't speak up for themselves and say, hey, that's not okay. I'm not comfortable with that. And that to me is everything, especially with our young kids going out into a very fast-paced world, you know, with social media and everything else. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please share it with a friend as always. And if you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy. Hey guys, before we dive into this episode, I want to mention show sponsor RS Coso. Now you all know, I've talked about this for years on the show, that having a healthy gut biome is critical for beautiful skin, for a healthy life, um, just for overall mood and your immune system. I mean, it's huge in your life. Like 90% of your health is located in your gut. And so having a strong and healthy gut is absolutely paramount if you want to feel good and look your best. And that's where RS Coso comes in. Coso drink is a century old traditional fermented drink made from more than a hundred vegetables, fruits, and plants. It helps with gut health, weight loss, and even skin trouble. Now I know that sounds too good to be true, but it's true. And with the American diet, the way it is, we are bombarded with things uh, from processed food like glyphosate, which is 
is essentially an antibiotic, uh, which kills your gut biome. So anything from Cheerios to chips, anything that's not organic pretty much has glyphosate in it. So you need to heal your gut if you're going to be eating that kind of food in daily life. And it's hard to just cut out all of that. I know from personal experience. So the benefits of COSO are pretty clear. It helps with gut health. It resets your immune system. It helps with skin trouble. It helps you lose weight. Um, it helps detox your body and improve stress, mood, and sleeping patterns, which again goes back to the health of the gut. It reduces um, bloating and even improves constipation. So it's not cheap. It's $99 for a three-day cleanse, but you get 25% off if you subscribe. And if you use my code UNSTRESSED, that'll give you an additional 10% off. So I've linked it in the show notes. If you're curious about trying it for yourself and getting your gut back into alignment, back to where it needs to be, head on over to rskoso.com. That's R-S-K-O-S-O.com and use my code UNSTRESSED to save. Well, hello, Rachel. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Like we were talking about before, I love interviewing authors. There's always this mission, I think, behind, you know, when they put out a book into the world. What was that for you? Why was a book on how babies are made and brought into the world? Why was that important for you? So I don't know um, if you know this, but I'm also the publisher of the book. So I work under my maiden name which is Rachel Kelhar and I write under my married name which is Rachel Greener and while I was on maternity leave with my uh, first child who's now four I was invited for a job interview at Nosy Crow which is the publisher of the book in the UK and they are a really amazing independent publisher um, really reactive really driven creatively about what's you know what's important it's about the content of the book I mean, obviously, they want to make money, they're a business, but that's not their primary motivator. And it was such a refreshing um, interview. And during my interview, I was asked to think about if there was any book on a subject that I felt was necessary, but didn't exist, what was it? And having been on maternity leave, obviously, <laughs> my brain was full of babies and how babies are made and, and sort of talking to lots of other people who were thinking about starting families in lots of different ways. So I started researching the books that were out there, you know, some of which were around from when I was young about how babies were made, see how things had moved on. And I discovered things hadn't moved on quite as much as I thought. Um, there are some amazing books out there which are, are really inclusive and beautiful. Um, I think Corey Silverberg's What Makes a Baby, is it Corey Silverberg? That's the name. Yeah, is, is absolutely wonderful. But I felt like what I really wanted was a book that had clarity about how babies are actually made. It seems, you know, we're all born and we all die. And yet birth and death are two of the greatest taboos in, in our lives. Um, so I really wanted to create a book that showed that wasn't just about mummies and daddies and wasn't, you know, excluding people who have different birth stories, who've come to starting their families in different directions. I wanted a book that presented all of these ways on an equal footing so that every child who reads a book about where babies come from can see their story reflected in this book. Um, and so I pitched the book, I got the job and I forgot all about it. And about six <laughs> months later, my boss said, when are we going to see your book about how babies are made? Mm. Um, and I'm not an expert, obviously. Um, so I thought very hard about what I would like to see in a book. And I had a go at writing something. 
and we worked with a leading LGBT plus organization in the UK and we shared the draft text with them and we got really great, really helpful feedback. We shared it with, you know, I shared it with my friends. I shared it with teachers. We had a sort of focus group of people from all different kinds of backgrounds and family setups who were feeding into the content because we really wanted to make sure that everyone who read it could find some reflection of their story in this book. And, and, um, and you know, it was a trial and error process. And obviously we, ha- we wanted it to be a book parents weren't afraid to have on the bookshelf along with their other children's stories. We wanted to kind of remove the taboo so that a child could just flick through it and, and relate to the things that were age appropriate for them. So that's why we pulled the kind of sciencey bits out into roundels because as you'll know, as a parent, children, mm-hmm. they kind of skip over stuff that's too mm-hmm. complex for their understanding. So we tried to design a book that could be read on multiple levels. As an independent reader, you'll get a lot more out of it than you will as a very young child who's maybe just looking at some of the pictures. But there's still a route into talking about how families are made and different family setups, even for very young children, even if you don't wish to read the text with them, but you just want to let them talk about the pictures and see different people's bodies and talk about how we're the same or how we're different. Um, yeah. And yeah. And then we, we just made the book and put it out into the world. And we were really quite scared because no one else was doing, you know, I don't think anyone else would have published this book apart from Nosy Crow because we, it was such a challenge and we knew we wouldn't be able to get it absolutely right for everyone. We knew that there were some people who would feel that we'd gone far too far in explaining, for example, as we do on the fourth spread, I think we have some people having sex. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to get to that, but yeah. Yes. Um, So that, you know, we knew there might be some people who thought that we'd gone far too far, but then we also knew that there were other people that would think that we hadn't gone far enough and it wasn't quite inclusive enough Mm. um, because there are instances where we have, so we've tried to use non-gendered language throughout, but we have also very early on in the book broached, the kind of physical nature of biological sex because for children we feel it's really important that they understand how we're the same but how we're the different and how that links through to biological sex however you identify when you're older there there are two things that you need to make a baby you need right. well three things really you need a sperm an egg and a place for that baby to grow and so we wanted to help children understand that link between their own biology and how babies are made right but it was really challenging it was a really challenge you know everything was difficult there was no there were no easy decisions in this book (laughs) I can't imagine yeah because you are getting input from so many different groups and people from different backgrounds and you know even just different levels of comfortability who are, are contributing how how did you finally say okay I'm comfortable with this edition of the book you know you were still feeling a little trepidation, you know, how it would be received. But when did you finally feel like, okay, we've got it right. This is going to be good. So, um, so our company, well, my company, Nosy Crow is run by um, Kate Wilson, our CEO, and um, her husband is our financial director. And he, it's a bit like working for your parents. (laughs) It's not at all like working for your parents, but if you imagine, you know, and, and Adrian is, you know, he's traveled the world. He's got, he's raised, you know, amazing children. He sat there and he read the book from beginning to end after, after we'd done all of this work. And it's, it was a bit like having, you know, your dad read the book or something. It was like, you know, but, but it was that moment when he read it and he was like, this is really, 
you've you've done it. You've, mm. you've drawn, managed to draw these things together. And I thought, I think we, I think we have, hopefully. And I, I know it won't quite work for everyone, but I hope that for the vast majority of people, they do find a route into it that allows them to kind of help build their confidence in talking about what is a really challenging subject. Yes. Yes, because I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who are in the middle school phase, you know, parents and teachers and counselors and things like that. And by then it's it's far too late. You know, you already have society and culture kind of invading your teens without the knowledge of what actually goes in to these biological processes and, and what you know, bodies even look like until it's like all of a sudden on their phone. So I think it's it's so crucial that we do have books like this out into the world that candidly and clearly kind of spell it out for the kids. And, and you know, like you said, you don't have to read every bubble, which goes in, you know, to deeper stuff, but it's like, it gives you a base to really understand what goes on in, in our natural biology. I think that's huge. I think this, I think, I think one of the reasons that especially in this day and age, more people are turning to books as a, as a resource again, is because there is so much, there's, there's a lot of great information online, but there's also a lot of misinformation. Um, it's kind of, you know, the playground whispers that you heard when you were mm-hmm. a kid, but magnified to a million. And it's, right. it's really easy for kids to absorb things which just simply aren't true. I mean, I think of some of the things that I believed when I was a kid. <laughs> but, you know, I just think it's so important for children to understand there's nothing there's nothing wrong with talking about any part of your body yeah. and there's nothing wrong with understanding where babies come from we are we were all babies once and all of us were birthed one way or another through a birth canal or in a c-section it's part of it is part of the kind of rich tapestry of life and i think by removing the taboo at a really early age as children get older they don't they won't feel the same embarrassment than maybe we think mm-hmm. parents because it was more taboo when we were younger even though you know I think my parents you know they bought me some books and and they they really did try and explain it um but you know all those books I I looked at them again when I was writing this one and they are very there's a mummy and a daddy and there's a yeah. special and, and that's it I just think if you know exactly what happens then you will never be surprised <laughs> by by it. and you will also understand you know we've even tried to broach very gently ideas around consent mm-hmm. and the fact that you know um also around the idea that people have sex in lots of different ways to show mm-hmm. how much they care about each other and that's not necessarily always penetrative sex you know we're not going into any detail we're just making it clear to children that this is just one of the many ways yeah that people show that they care about each other and it also happens to be one of the many ways in which you can make a baby if one person has a penis and one person has a vagina. Yeah. And I think too, like it removes the shame. Like I, I grew up with a lot of like shame around sex and sexuality. Like you weren't supposed to talk about it. You weren't supposed to, you know, think about it. Like it was just very, like you said, taboo. And so when you do kind of come into your own and you're out there, like you, I don't know. I just felt like a heavy cloud where there didn't need to be a heavy cloud. You know, it's like, like you said, understanding what really goes on in the biological processes and understanding that that's good and natural. And oh, by the way, there's, there's a myriad of other things that can go into that. You know, it's not just like you said, a man and a woman and all of that. But I also love that not only do you cover how babies are made, but also the labor process and the birth process, because I think as a society, we've gotten that one image of the woman 
you know, careening down the hall in the wheelchair or on the gurney and she's screaming her head off. And like, that's, that's what we've given to our children to understand. Like, this is what happens when you're in labor. Whereas, you know, that's completely not true. Yeah. Yeah. Why why was that important for you to have in there? Not just the making, but also the bringing them to the world. I think, you know, so many children are born through cesarean section these days. It just seemed mad that it's not something that is is talked about and and kind of explained to children from a really young age. I mean, in some countries, um, especially in the Far East, the majority of births are cesarean sections and they are planned and people know exactly what's going to happen. Um, Whereas, you know, you compare that to even in the UK, I think the statistic is something like um, at least a quarter of births are planned or emergency cesareans. So that's one, you know, that's a lot, (laughs) a lot of the world. Um, And we chose to feature, so we've we've got some kind of scenes that look like they could be in a hospital, uh, but we also chose to feature a home birth as the birthing scene because in the UK that is also very common and in in a lot of other countries around the world. And there has been a sort of movement towards more midwife-led births um, and sort of minimum, you know, it's... At the end of the day, we want to show the whole range. There's no right way to have a baby. You mm-hmm. might be someone who has a minimal intervention birth at home. You might be someone that goes for that and ends up having a C-section in the hospital because it doesn't work out. It's a really complex and and, and unexpected process. And I think even as an adult, even as you know, going into the process of having my first child, you don't know what to expect. You yeah. really don't um, until you've done it once. And even then what you experience is probably really unlike whatever you wrote on your birth plan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then the second one can be totally different too. I thought yeah. my second labor would be a breeze after the first and I did the water birth and all of that. And it was, it was harder almost because I knew what was coming and it was, it, it felt even more painful. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's always different. So to, to set expectations that you really shouldn't have too many expectations, I think is really freeing to a lot of people. Yeah. And similarly, that was one of the reasons we also wanted to talk, or I personally wanted to talk about miscarriage. I feel it's something that has been, it is, again, I mean, it's something, it's a really, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it is something, again, like one in four mm-hmm. pregnancies end in miscarriage. And and it's just, it's just, again, it's another of those social taboos. We just don't talk about it. And it's so important because it affects you know, just not the not just the person who's carrying the baby, but their family members. You know, it's a big, you know, the child, other children in the family who might have been excited about having a brother mm-hmm. or a sister. And we felt like we wanted to acknowledge that in the least threatening way possible. So we, throughout the book, as you'll have, you'll have noticed, we've tried to avoid any complex terminology and really bring it down to kind of really basic um, units. And so we don't talk about miscarriage in those terms or stillbirth we sort of frame it as why do some babies not grow mm-hmm. and just because sort of it's that whole it's best, better to be prepared I suppose yeah. and one of the reasons you know I work in children's publishing is we publish books to help children develop empathy and understanding by helping children put themselves in fiction for example in unfamiliar shoes they then can have some knowledge of someone else's life experience. And in nonfiction, by presenting them scenarios which they're unfamiliar with, they, they again, it's, it's kind of you're learning that experience 
before you've actually had to experience it. So if something does happen, you know, that's why we do books about um, death, for example. It's it's allowing you to kind of frame your experience without it being something that's terrifyingly new because you, you're aware that these kind of things, they can happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not happening to you. It's not something traumatic that your brain is going through. It's like, oh, this does exist. And this happens every day in the world. And and okay, I understand that now. And kids are so resilient. I feel like this is such a gift to give them, you know, that this is the world. This is, this is what we're dealing with. It just, it, it's crazy to me that it's taken until 2021 for a book like this to exist in the world. And then you were still kind of like, oh God, you know, like how is this going to be received? Like, it's just maddening to me. Yeah, but it is, you know, it's just that it hadn't been, it hadn't been done. And so it did, you know, it felt like a, it did feel like a bold step and we didn't know how it would be received. We didn't know if when we took it to the, um, you know, to the rights fairs and we showed the American publishers and we showed the Spanish publishers, whether they would, you know, just, just sort of go, mm, yeah, uh, mm, very nice, interesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but it's also, it, it has, I do think it is something of a, I don't know if you know the term Marmite. It's a sort of disgusting spread that we eat in England <laughs> on for toast. I know Vegemite, but I've never heard of that one. So Marmite is basically a sort of form of Vegemite. And we, <laughs> when, when something is, you either love it or you hate it, we call it a Marmite or a Vegemite uh. book because people either love or hate Vegemite um, or Marmite. So the people that love this book really love this book mm. and they love this book because it speaks to something in their experience that they haven't had a chance to express before. So whether those are um, parents who've gone through IVF or surrogacy or who used a donor or a sperm egg um, or who are single parents or who are adoptive, adoptive parents, you know, this book allows them to see their family experience on a level playing field. And, and for those people, it's a really important book. And that's one, you know, and so those publishers said, this book speaks to me. Yeah. Um, but there, you know, there are, I'm sure, and, and, and we have had some much more conservative responses. And even if you sort of look at the reviews on Amazon, there are people who take pictures of the, of the sex page and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you put this in a book for children. But it's, it's a book, you don't have to show it to your children, or you don't have to talk to them in detail about what's happened. You can let them explore it at their own, um, at their own level. I've, I've yeah. showed my four-year-old um, making a baby many, many times. And when I show him the sex page, I say, what do you see? You know, what do you think is happening here? And he says, the room is really messy. <laughs> all over the floor. <laughs> right. That's his level at this, at this moment in time. And that's totally yeah. appropriate. No, I I get said, it. Yes, they've had to take all their clothes off. <laughs> they've decided it's, to. It's a mess. You know, you know, yeah. And, you know, they've just thrown them on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like the response is more open in Europe and, and you know, not in America? Because, you know, we're considered very conservative here. You know, we've got the the religious background, the, you know, started the country. Like, do you feel like Europe is more open to a book like this or are we coming around? Are we all kind of on an equal playing field these days? I mean, the U.S. Uh, publishers have been really, really supportive of this title. And I do think it speaks to a, a lot of people. I think even... I think even for people who might not want to show it to younger children, I think they can see the value in it, even if they might think, I don't want to show this to my seven-year-old, they're not ready for this. They might think, but when they're 10, you know, I still, because it, you know, at the end of the day, we do live in a world where children, they get their first mobile phone at what age? Like 
10, yeah. maybe younger, you know, they, they are exposed to a lot of information online. And I think everyone knows deep down that it's really, that knowledge is power and that if you are informed, then you are safer because you know how to talk about your body and you know what's appropriate for your body. Um, and you, yeah, you're just in a better position to kind of know your rights, I suppose, and know what to expect from the world. So when you encounter things which are not like your own family situation, you won't be surprised and think, oh my goodness, I've never come across a situation where somebody just has a dad and no mum or, <laughs> you know. Right. Right. Um, I feel like it removes the otherness, you know, from a situation, you know, where we're all in this human family on earth and it's all going to be different and it's all going to be, you know, everyone's going to have their own path and their own life experience. But yeah, to introduce it at an early age before the phone comes in and kind of takes over, I feel like is it's an important thing for a parent to do for their child, you know, no matter what age they are, you know, you find the right level for them. What was it about you that, that made you, that brought you to this book, to this job, to this publishing company. There's something about you, like the way you grew up. I don't know. What is it? Have you always been kind of an avant-garde uh, force of, of good in the world? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I've, um, I've worked in publishing for a long, for about 12 years in book publishing. And I used to do, I've done nonfiction. I've done fiction. Um, I, before that, I worked with music journalists and I, you know, went to a lot of bars and I stuck to a lot of sticky floors and I watched <laughs> a lot of terrible bands. And, um, but I think for me, just even, you know, as a music journalist or, you know, when I was working in fiction, it, it, it's about connection with the world, isn't it? It's about helping people connect and learn and empathize with others. So music brings connection to the world fiction as I was talking about earlier with empathy that brings connection to the world and non-fiction I feel you know we're really helping um children to engage with everything from their own biology to understanding you know space or mm -hmm. um the you know our place in history our place in 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 the world you know I just think I yeah I just love communicating ideas I suppose that's that's what I've always been passionate about I love that. And is that your hope for this book? Like what, what do you ultimately want this book, its legacy to leave with the world? I just hope that a lot more children grow up not feeling the taboos that, and the, the sort of shame that I felt and the embarrassment I still feel because I still do feel it when I'm trying to talk to my children, you know, obviously my 20 year old, uh, 20 month old doesn't care, but my, you know, my, my, my five-year-old or he's four, nearly five he's getting to that age where he's starting to ask questions and I'm really glad I've got this resource that I've created because I can share that with him and, and try and let go of that embarrassment that I I think we've all carried with us people of us of a of you know an older generation because we don't need to yeah yeah Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. So last question with everything that you have studied and researched and everything that you intuitively know, uh, what's something that you want the audience to remember from this talk? Um, that every story is different and you can never, um, I can't think of the right phrase. You can never presume that, you know, Mm, I love that. I love that. Okay. So where can the audience find the book online and find out more about you and the publishing house? 
Um, so they can find out. So in um, America, it is published by Penguin, the dial for young readers. Um, and so you can go to their website to find out more about the American edition and to find out more about um, Nosy Crow, who the UK publisher. We've got a website, which is www.nosycrow.com. And you can find out I've got a biography up there and you can see some of the other interesting nonfiction that we're putting into the world. Beautiful. I can't wait to see what else you, you're bringing out. I think it's going to, if it's anything like this, I can't wait, honestly. Thank the you. book is Making a Baby, an Inclusive Guide to How Every Family Begins. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your truth with the audience. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks again to our sponsor, Coso Drink. Be sure to head on over to rscoso.com. That's R-S-K-O-S-O.com. And use my code UNSTRESSED to save. You have been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast.